I can think of only one thing that could lift my spirits right now. Beer. 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 This is Drink of Ages on ESPN 97.5. The only show dedicated to craft beer, spirits, and music. Here's your host and luminary, John Denman. John Denman. Hi, everybody. It's Lenny Ambrose with Drink of Ages Radio live, sort of, from Drink of Ages Pub. Uh, As you can tell, these are not the soft and smoky sounds of John Denman coming over your airwaves this week. Uh, Lenny Ambrose filling in for him. Uh, I work at St. Arnold Brewing Company. Uh, Maybe, possibly, you've stopped by, had a beverage, maybe a sandwich even sometime. We'd love to have you come on by. Obviously, we're Texas's oldest craft brewery. Uh, So this week, you know, I kind of got thinking a little bit. Uh, We want to get right into it. It's craft brewers conference time. So I was thinking, what is our industry doing these days? Um, A few weeks ago, a marketing class stopped by the brewery and they wanted to interview me just sort of about what we have going on in marketing, our history with marketing. And in the, the class, they were asking what our philosophy is on marketing. And one of the questions they asked me was, where do... I see our industry going over the next few years. And as an industry, we ask that question and those kind of questions internally a lot, but um, I hadn't really thought about it in a little while, uh, and especially with someone outside the industry asking me. So, you know, I kind of went back and looked at the numbers for 2017. Overall, beer is down 1.2% in the United States. Beer sales have dropped. And of course, that's a lot of that is from the, the big breweries. The Miller AB type uh, are selling less beer, and so that brings the overall numbers down. Craft beer, however, is up 5%. Um, so craft beer is still growing. But you see all these think pieces from time to time where people say, craft beer's dead. It's not growing anymore. The bubble's about to burst. But it's still up 5%, which is still pretty nice, robust growth overall in the industry. Um, import beer is still growing. So your Dos Equis, your Coronas, they're still selling a lot of beer out there. And maybe they get a bad rap for being, you know, warm pee-pee water. Can I say pee-pee on the radio? I can. Kevin says I can say pee-pee on the, on the radio. Um, but still, they're selling more beer. Maybe you chalk that up to advertising. Um, also, in the U.S. now, we have 6,266 breweries, craft breweries in the U.S., and that continues to, to grow. That was up in 2017. So it's continuing to grow. So if you just looked at those numbers, you would think, okay, people are not drinking uh, bad beer as much as they used to, and they only want to drink craft beer. But I think even internally, we're starting to see maybe some of the cracks overall. And maybe it's not quite as rosy a picture, or maybe it is. Um, So these are the kind of things we think about as an industry. And a guy that knows a lot about the industry as well, but kind of from a different side, because he's dealing with a lot of breweries. He's not just dealing with his own brewery like I do. I work at St. Arnold. Um, But a guy that has thought a lot about beer, over his years in the industry is Kevin Floyd uh, from Hay Merchant, and you also may know him from his other hits like One Fifth and the former Underbelly, soon to be something else, which we'll talk about. So he's on the show today. Kevin Floyd, welcome to Drink of Ages Radio. Thanks for having me, Lenny. Yeah. 
So, you know, Kevin, like I was saying, you look at the statistics, craft beer's up 5%, more breweries opening, tons of breweries opening in Texas. Where is this, all this beer going to go? It's so great. Celebrate. Are you celebrating? Is there reason to celebrate? What, I, what, are, what do you see going on in the next couple of years? I think it's, it's fascinating that somebody from outside the industry asked that question of you that prompted this kind of analysis. And you and I have had a lot of beers together in our time. And I, I feel like almost given any night at Hay Merchant, you put more than two beer guys in the industry together over <laughs> beers, we end up talking about this very... You can't help it. You can't yeah. help it. I mean, <laughs> we've been talking about this for years. We've been talking about this, you know, since, you know, Hay Merchant first opened. Uh, I think that there's always there's always room for excitement. I mean, it's 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 always exciting to be in the craft beer business, but for many years, I've been worried. I've been talking about, and you and I have been talking about that there is going to be some kind of contraction in the industry overall. I think a lot of people refer to that as the bubble. Um, I think that's probably a misnomer because a bubble would imply that there's um, there's going to be this 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 reduction in the total volume. I don't yeah. think that's what's going to happen. I think you're going to see the contraction happen in the total volume of, of breweries. But the total volume of beer, I think, is going to either be stable or always slightly on the growth curve um, because of craft beer. The thing that I'm most concerned about, and I've been concerned about this for years, is the um, the new wave of, of persistently lower quality breweries and beer entering into the craft market. I don't think that you guys at St. Arnold see this as much as we do in the retail side because you're only dealing with your own product. And you guys are a very great brewery and make a great product. But I'm really worried about all these little craft breweries that are opening. They're opening underfunded. They're opening under uh, underexperienced. Um, and they're putting out what they consider acceptable beer, but it's not, it's not great. And you hold those guys up against other great breweries, and they're going to they're going to underperform. Which I, I don't particularly care so much for their success as a business. Yeah. My worry is for the the first time consumer, that transition consumer, that person who was either a Budweiser drinker or they were a vodka drinker or a wine drinker, and they finally decided to give craft beer a try. They're going to go into a bar or into a small tap room somewhere. They're going to usually pay a premium amount. They're going to pay more for that craft beer than they're going to pay for, say, a Budweiser or Dos Equis or something like that. Um, and they're going to make their decision about the entire craft beer industry, at least on a subconscious level, based on that that first beer experience. And if they happen upon a low-quality craft beer in a tap room or a bar somewhere, that's going to influence their opinion about the overall craft beer industry but, but do you think people know what is good anymore that that is something uh, I guess I'm th- not. that's like the next question we always internally have is you you don't want people to get bad beer sure but they have to kind of know what's bad or good to get good or I, bad beer you I, know? I'm not when I say good I'm talking in the really broadest sense of the word good I'm yeah. not talking about whether or not is this an stellar example of a yeah. Pilsner or is not this a reading great the style example yeah, not, yeah. Sure. no I mean no of course <laughs> not I don't expect the average consumer to be able to, to to have a long conversation with me about the integrity of this beer stylistically speaking I'm talking about whether or not the beer is tasty yeah just flat out good and that's and that's the biggest thing that I worry about is I've tasted a large amount and every year I taste more and more of it 
a large amount of flat-out not good beer. Yeah. Not good beer from breweries that when you really stand back and you take your personality and your personal opinion out of how much you like that brewery as a person or as an institution. Which that, a lot of that goes into it. Dude, a ton of that goes into I mean, it, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are craft breweries out there, both locally and nationally, that are well-loved, but their beer is not good. And not good by any standard of the word not good. This is not just Kevin Floyd talking about how, like, oh, they missed the mark on this, yeah, sure. you know, dry-hopped, you know, cream ale or whatever. Like, they just brewed a straight-up bad beer. So, well, so in that line of thinking, then, wouldn't we expect that the smaller ones are the ones that will close first? So. Uh, I think it was Sam Calagione from Dogfish Head said, you know, there's a bloodbath coming. Wouldn't you expect then it, that it's the ones that have been open one or two years or maybe even three years to close first? Or is it somebody that's kind of established, but they've hired up, so their costs are higher, you know, the payroll's higher, they bought all this equipment, and then they start the decline and can't yeah, I think that, I think that you're exactly right. I mean, if you were to use the quality of the product as the sole metric then yeah, the small ones would close first. Except yeah. that's really not, we're talking about two different things. We're talking about quality of product and the way that it impacts overall consumer movement towards the product, A, and then B, we're talking about straight economic business numbers. Yeah. So yeah, I could say this small craft brewery produces really poor quality beer and they lack the talent or the money uh, or the vision or the taste buds to be able to ever brew really good quality beer. They should be the first ones to close. Except when their overhead is rock bottom low, when they're making just enough money to like pay their rent and maybe pay their own mortgage, those guys can survive the apocalypse. Yeah, and maybe it's three people. Yeah, total, exactly. You know? <laughs> Whereas those big guys that have all that overhead, all that payroll, they can survive a lot less. Yeah. And so um, I think that Sam's probably overall correct that there's a bloodbath coming to use air quotes but i think people are going to be surprised at some of the breweries that end up closing and it's not going to be the ones you expect those small breweries that produce crappy beer are still going to be able to hang on i think long term over some of the mid-sized breweries that are already over their skis financially speaking but just don't realize it yet and not real well they think if we can just get around this corner yeah then we'll be all right. And, and everyone can appreciate that to some degree or another, unless you're a super you know, financially conservative person. Everyone has been in a position yeah. where you've sweated the mortgage or you've, you know, you know, <laughs> economic times are tough. Imagine that on a level of multi-millions of, of dollars. You know, those little accounting mistakes and those little rounding errors, they multiply really large. So Well, so, you know, one of the things we've seen, you just kind of look at numbers or whatever, is... Uh, Sometimes a Sierra Nevada or a New Belgium, you look at their numbers in Texas and it's flat or down slightly. And I love Sierra Nevada beer, you know, very well respected around the industry. And they're not in any danger of closing. I'm not saying that. But I think it just goes to show that the growth is definitely coming at the local, hyper local level even. And that's and that's an, and I love that man. I mean, I'm a I'm a born and bred Texan. I was born in Houston. I've you know lived here most of my life. I went to college in Texas. I spent a few years away. I come back. I run my businesses here in Houston. I have a, a home here in Houston. I have a family here in Houston. You're not going to find somebody who is more um, you know staunchly Texan than me. I mean, I I 
even like the romantic idea of, of Texas as a free country. Uh, but <laughs> that's the next segment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I will. All that being said, is to prep the fact that um, if you brew shitty beer, I don't care if you're from Texas or not. I'm yeah. not going to support you. Um, and it does. It's a. It's embarrassing sometimes. It's embarrassing sometimes the beer that that comes through our bar as samples of like people that are like the first thing out of their mouth, man, is hey, my name's blah blah blah. I'm from local insert here. Yeah. Like okay, but your beer's not good, man. You know. So that that's that's kind of frustrating. And uh, they're so happy and proud of it. Oh and man, it's they just... are. And it really, you know, I used to feel years <laughs> ago. I mean, hey, has been open for six years, and so I've been an active active beer buyer for longer than that but you know an active beer buyer for a large account for six years and when I first started buying beer at Haymarch and I was gentle with people and I would try to like really be nice to them and not tell them to their face that like hey your beer is not any good I'm not buying because it's not any good it's not because I don't like you as a person I like you as a person a lot but your beer is not any good nowadays I don't even I don't even do that. Like, it's unfair to both of us for me to not just be honest with them. Like, hey, look. Well, you've had so many at that point. And, and it is a little bit of that, too. I've yeah. had a lot of bad beer. Uh, um, have you seen people's taste change at the bar in those six years, what oh, they're ordering? Man, massively. I was just, you know, so we're in the middle right now of uh, trying to get uh, UB Preserve, which is the new the new location yeah. for Underbelly Open. I just I ran over here from there just now. We were I was finishing up beer training and this is a tiny little beer list. It's for a restaurant, you know, it's it's for a chef driven restaurant. I've got twelve, I think maybe ten or twelve labels on that list. Three of them are sours. Four of them are sours. We have four really? sour beers on that list. And not even because I meant to do that. And so yeah, people four, five, six years ago they didn't know what sour beer was and they were really scared of it. And now the oldest and arguably the most conservative craft brewery in Texas, you guys, you know, mm-hmm. pioneered like a core brand sour. Yeah. Which with, with Boiler Room, which is now turned into Raspberry AF. I think that alone is the kind of the example of like how many how people's tastes have changed. I mean if your boss and and my buddy Brock can <laughs> green light a sour beer as yeah. a six pack, you know, uh, can release like that says volumes about what people's tastes are, are doing. Well, we even used to have on our FAQs on our website. It was uh, like, uh, "Will you ever brew a fruit beer or something?" And the answer on the FAQ was, "Uh, no." You know, kind of like no, we're too good for that. And this was, you know, ten years ago or so. Yeah. Uh, and so that's changed. Do you find that people? They sit down. They don't even look at a menu and say, "Give me what's local." It, do you kind of feel like that's a focus of a, a customer? Yeah, we see a little bit of that. Um, you know, our, our we always push people away from that. It's like, you know, hey, you know, there's a lot of local on here. I can go all the way from from here to there as yeah. far as local goes. Like, tell me what you like. So that's yeah. People do sometimes. What what we have we see it happens more than anything else is they'll say. They'll say, "Give me whatever local IPA you have on tap." Yeah. Or give me whatever local, local and happy. Local yeah, and happy. Yeah. That you know that happens <laughs> a lot. But yeah, people have a kind of an idea of what their style is. Yeah. Um, and we still get every. I mean, it still happens every single Saturday in Hay Merchant. Friday and Saturday, we still get somebody at the bar calling Budweiser and Bud Light. Yeah. You know, and uh, le- less often than we used to, but uh, we still get that. So you know, you still have to have those kind of response beers in your portfolio to be able to say i don't have that but i do have this yeah uh totally agree you have it has to be well-rounded you have to have and i've actually always liked how your 
menu has divided up. It's like uh, sociable and refreshing, I mm -hmm. think, and malty and nutty and uh, sour or something like that. Yeah. So you can sit down and easily identify what there is available. It's like you might not recognize any of the beers in this list. You don't know the brewery names, the style names, or anything yeah. else, but all of these beers are on the lighter side. All of these beers on the dark side. And that's how I drink. It's more like, okay, what kind of flavors am I in the mood for right now? Um, all right, so we, we've dab, dabbled a little bit into the Hay Merchant talk, and uh, they are just reopening their doors after a, a slight closure. So um, we'll get into that in the next segment. We're talking with Kevin Floyd on Drink of Ages Radio. Tap is killing it with their IPAs, Heavy Hands, Justin, Houston Hayes, Draped Up. All have been phenomenal brews. With all the tasty releases, man, don't forget about Hop Gusher. This has been one of my favorite go-to beers for a while now. 6.5%, nicely balanced with a blast of hoppy aroma. The citrus taste and slight bitterness makes this a crowd pleaser. Grab some Hop Gusher and make this a regular in your beer fridge. If you are a fan of good beer, then come by Drink of Ages Pub, 1005 Wall Drive in Montrose. We have over 200 beers with 32 specially rotating taps of badass beers, cider, kombucha, and cold-brewed nitro coffee. Take a 32-ounce growler or build a mixed six-pack to go. You can even bring your own growlers in, and we will fill them. Drink of Ages Pub, badass beer for here, badass beer to go.
back on Drink of Ages Radio. I am not John Denman. I am uh, far from John Denman. We both have beards. His is a little whiter than mine. Uh, and he wears better hats than I do, if you've, uh, if you've never seen him. I like that kind of newsboy hat. I don't think I can really pull that off. Takes a uh, particular facial structure. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. But I don't know if I've ever seen him without that hat. So uh, keep doing it, John. And uh, good luck in your travels. Uh, our guest, uh, first guest today is Kevin Floyd uh, from Hay Merchant and a bunch of other places. So we're going to talk about Hay Merchant and a bunch of other places. Um, Kevin, you were closed for two months, month and a half? No, no, it was, was like three weeks. Is that it? Okay. Yeah. It seemed longer. It, I, I yeah, was yeah, tell crying me into my yeah. pillow <laughs> each and every night. Um, what were you doing during that three weeks? So... Um, to put it in you know perspective, Underbelly has had its sister restaurant, or Hamerson's had its sister restaurant, Underbelly since day one. Yeah. Uh, from a public perspective, we've always kind of run those as separate. You know, Hamerson is this thing, and Underbelly. But in reality, is as you as you understand, they've always been one company. Yeah. Uh, so when Chris and I made the decision to shut down Underbelly and turn it into the Steakhouse Georgia James, uh, there was going to be some of that demolition and construction on the Underbelly side that affected Hamerson. So we decided to use that as an opportunity to do some general housekeeping things around Hay Merchant yeah. that we had been wanting to do for a long time, but had never been able to justify shutting down to do them and um, and did them. Uh, so the big thing, these are things that like you're going to walk into Hay Merchant and be like, I don't know why you had to be closed for three weeks. I don't notice it. Um, we completely gutted and completely rebuilt the walk-in beer cooler. Uh, we... Uh, redid the entire ceiling in the hay merchant kitchen okay uh we ripped out and completely upgraded and replaced the audio and video system um and then we had the underbelly related stuff uh so the hay merchant private dining space and the underbelly private dining space uh, adjoined each other and had to be addressed okay uh, and so right now hay merchants reopened but we still have a section of the bar closed because we're still doing work over there um, I I have not been in since you reopened, but I, one thing I did notice from a picture is the bar seating is kind of reconfigured. Yeah, so I took, uh, originally, we just threw some tables up in the bar. The floor in the bar is unlevel because it's an old building, so it was always yeah. kind of weird. Uh, we took all those tables out and we built one giant, looks like a guitar pick table in the middle mm -hmm. that's actually attached to one of the structural columns and so now it's just this big island central community table in the middle of the bar the bar top and then the bar rail so it's a we lost a couple of seats by doing it that way but the flow in the space yeah i, I think i as a frequenter that was always a little weird to kind yeah. of get around if you were trying to get to the bar yeah so i saw the pictures of that and i was actually like oh yeah that totally makes sense to do it that way so yeah, we did that. That was like one of those. We you know we could have totally done that. That particular that was probably the biggest visual change to the consumer. Yeah, <laughs> when, that took us like eight hours to do. You know, like <laughs> that was the easiest thing. It was all this stuff in the back of the house it took a really long time. Okay. Um, and then you know the whole audio system. Um, we never had the money really to do a nice sound system in Hay Merchant, so we always were just kind of doing basic stuff. You sure. know, and we went and pulled everything out. Uh, reused a lot of the same speakers, but it's all new amps, a ton more new, uh, new speakers. Uh, I put seven new 4K TVs in. Uh, the entire thing is on a digital controller. I mean, like I said, a lot of this stuff, like all you see is like, oh, fancy, man. new TVs. <laughs> yeah. um, but 
uh, it sounds a lot better in there, and it's a lot easier on the staff. They can run the entire audio and visual system off an iPad Great. instead of having a whole stack of remotes and a bunch of other things. So. Well, so uh, the the general customer may not notice a lot of those changes, but one place they are going to notice a huge difference in is the new place, uh, UB Preserve, which has been a variety of restaurants over the years. My favorite was Pascal when that was there. We used to go there and sit at the bar and get good uh, meat and cheese and stuff. So I'm guessing it looks totally different than those days. And so it's uh, different internally, but kind of a new culinary and drinking adventure for you guys too. Yeah. So, you know, we made the decision after we did one fifth steak. So one fifth is our five year, mm-hmm. call it five year conceptual project. And we're doing a different restaurant every year. The first iteration of that was steak after, after one fifth steak, which we only ran for six months cause it was a half year. Uh, Chris and I knew we were going to open a steakhouse cause it's, it was just amazingly successful. Yeah. And it was a really good too. And so I wrote an entire business plan for a steakhouse, and it was going to be a really expensive project. And then during Harvey, Chris and I started talking, and we were looking at the numbers and the square footage and much other things. He goes, man, we should really close Underbelly and turn it into a steakhouse, which my response was, you are out of your yeah, mind. Yeah, I was going to say. You have lost <laughs> your mind. And then, like a huge gasp oh, in the room. Yeah, I was like, you're, I, I, like, I, I, I got to go home. And then I spent a couple days thinking about it, and uh, you know, we decided to turn Underbelly into a steakhouse. And so once we made that decision, I got to talking to Chris. I was like, man, I know you. You're going to need a creative outlet. We need we need another creative restaurant for you, a chef-driven restaurant. You know, um, he's like, man, I've always really wanted to do an 80-seat version of Underbelly. And I'm like, cool, where do you want to put that? And we're staying outside of 1-5th, and he points down the street at 1609 West Time. He says, I want to put it right there in this in this space that had been Jimmy Choo's, which is this failed Asian-American fusion concept. It had been Puskol. Yeah. I remember it as Cafe Montrose. Yeah, and so I I got, I got you know, eyebrows deep into that quagmire of craziness that was the business situation of that of that building. Got it figured out, and we decided to open up an underbelly esque. It's called UB Preserve. It's basically Chris Shepard's the story of Houston food unchained. There's no rules. Yeah. So underbelly always lived under these rules. You can only Chris can only use products sourced within 150 miles of Houston. Um, this is the same basic concept, except you can source products from everywhere. So it's a smaller version of Underbelly. It only seats 80 people, um, but it is. And I realized just the other day that this is the first time in Chris Shepard's career. Chris Shepard, a James Beard award-winning chef, this is the first time he's ever gotten to run a restaurant that has absolutely no restrictions. Yeah. Which is a pretty astounding statement when you really think about it. Yeah, absolutely. So and we're working on that right now. We should have that open in about a week or two. Good luck. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, I, I know, obviously, um, with Hay Merchant, you kind of switched to the, the mixed beverage permit, so you could do two cocktails. You'll have that with George James, the steakhouse next door, and I'm sure you'll have a full cocktail list, too, at UB Preserve. Yeah, so UB, uh, um, UBP, as we like to call it in the shorthand of the text message world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's got a full bar. It's actually... Uh, it's got a full three bartender uh, bar. It's going to have a full cocktail program. Very small wine program because there's not a lot of room there. Kind of a small beer program, mainly relying on cocktails and spirits. You can get away with that as long as it's good. As long as it's good. Yeah. yeah. All right, Kevin. Thanks very much. Thanks for talking shop with me, man. My pleasure. All right. Cheers. Thank you, This sir. is Drink of Ages Radio.
Our friends on the west side at No Label Brewery have been real busy. They're making great beers like Side Haze, Phase 2, and now Squeeze and Twist IPA. This low ABV is great for all day taking care of business. Very light and refreshing Squeeze and Twist IPA from No Label is one to try. You can find this beer on draft in a new 12-ounce cans along with other No Label brews at your favorite store, bar, or stop by the brewery and get some. NoLabelBrew.com Wild West Brew Fest is happening May 4th and 5th at Katie Mills Mall in the parking lot. This award-winning beer festival features over 130 breweries and over 600 beers. This beer fest has something for everyone. Come out May 4th and join us at the launch party to get everyone ready for the big fest on Saturday, May 5th. VIP tickets are available and offers more specialty brews and delicious complimentary food. WildWestBrewFest.com for all the info and tickets. The Wild West Brew Fest is one of the few events of its kind that donates all proceeds to charity. Come out and have some great beer and a good time while also supporting a wonderful cause. WildWestBrewFest.com Welcome back to Drink of Ages Radio. This is Lenny Ambrose filling in for uh, my mentor, my idol, uh, the godfather, John Denman. Uh, I worship at his feet. He is not here this week. Uh, and I am trying to fill his his giant shoes, his giant hat, his giant beard. Uh, it's, it's, it's tough, everybody, but I'm trying to get it done. Uh, so I work at St. Arnold. Uh, I love beer. Uh, if you see my ever-growing gut, I probably love beer too much. Uh, I also, however, love cocktails. I like whiskey. I like to switch it up. Uh, my wife and I frequent uh, cocktail bars, especially when we don't have the kids, which is rare. Um, but we like to go and get a, a, a delicious cocktail to switch it up from beer. Um, a guy doing that locally, you know, we're a local company, St. Arnold is, Kevin local guy working for Hay Merchant, owning Hay Merchant, a local bar, a local distiller um, up in Humble, not a, a, a big drive from Houston at all, maybe a good stop when you're headed to the airport, is Joe Breda, uh, and he's doing Old Humble Distilling, um, 
right there in the the town, uh, the sleepy town of Humble. Uh, welcome to Drink of Ages Radio, Joe. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, so. Um, I, I guess I could say why whiskey, but that maybe that seems like an easy question, like because it's delicious, because I love whiskey. But what really drove you to take that step and to start living the dream of, of opening your own distillery? That is, honest to God, the actual answer. I am <laughs> a whiskey enthusiast. Yeah. Uh, I you know, started in college as a uh, home beer maker mm-hmm. way back when. A man uh, of my own heart right, right there. Right. Yeah, sure. Uh, we started off, <laughs> me and my buddy were, were homebrewing. And uh, after I graduated college, I still made some large batches of beer. And we always had this dream back in the 90s of having a brewery for ourselves. But the math was really tough back in the 90s to have a brewery. Sure. You can literally count on three fingers the yeah, number of breweries that started in the 90s that are still around in the 90, from the 90s. Uh, so that tells you how the math was in the nineties. Yeah. Uh, and then after college, I kind of, except for a few big batches for big events, I kind of got out of brewing beer because I couldn't drink it all because I had a job and I had to wake up in the morning. Right. Uh, so I kind of moved into making wine and the wine path brought me towards uh, a couple of seasons of making wine during the year. And I'd have plenty for you know, six to 12 months easily. And this <laughs> Old stuff Joey go good bad. times, man. Right. You go from beer to wine to... The stuff didn't go bad. <laughs> yeah. I had my own label. It was ready for gifts for weddings and Christmas and birthdays. Right. I always had a bottle of wine with me. It was fantastic. Uh, and then from there, we started doing... Me and my lovely wife started doing wine tastings and exploring the world of wine and the different expressions of how wine is created and presents itself and how you take it in and it was really kind of a sidestep into doing whiskey tastings yeah which is i had no idea at the time but it's really a lot of the same type of world where you have your different expressions of whiskey you have your different uh uh, flavor styles that come out you have your different regions you have your different aging profiles and it was really really fascinating and I fell in love with the drink and I fell in love with the with the liquor style and that same buddy who was my beer buddy back in college round about that time gives me a call up he's looking at some distilling equipment uh, we start talking next thing I know we're sitting at his kitchen table building a business plan and a few months after that we have stills coming on a boat to open up our shop in Conroe and a few months after that uh, I ended up buying out my partners, and we moved it to Humble, and that's how the old Humble Distilling Company was born. Was there a time where you thought, all right, this this is nice, this is fun, but this isn't going to work? Like, Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every small business goes through that process. Uh, it's a, you, you know, you get past the honeymoon, the glow, and you have to sit down and decide if you're really going to do this and keep doing this. Uh, ours has... it. Most companies will go through it a couple of times. Whiskey is the type of business that's a slow burn type of business. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, there's so many different brands out there and it's all about brand marketing and brand awareness and imprinting your brand on people so that when they go into specs or they go into Total Wine or they go into their local bar or friendly neighborhood apothecary and ask them for a whiskey, they have me on their list. And it's really hard to build that because there's tons and tons and tons out there. But it's a process that builds. And we're 
at this point of our life, we're seeing the efforts of the last two, three, four years paying off. And it's, it's, and it's an exciting time to be doing what I'm doing. Well, how did you turn the corner from, uh, oh, no, we're careening out of control here to, yeah, this is a real thing and maybe we can really do this? <laughs> it's not a corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Uh, or it's not one corner, at least. Sure. There's, uh, it's, you, you start a business and you put it on paper and your spreadsheets tell you that in June of 2016, you're supposed to be doing this. Yeah. Uh, and as soon as you open up your doors in January of 2013 or January of 2014, that paper gets crumpled up and tossed in the trash and you got to figure out how to pay rent the next month. So that time period has come several times. Yeah, there's always the time you wake up and you have 43 cents in the bank uh, <laughs> and uh, you don't want to tell your wife and you got to figure out how you're going to pay yeah. your rent. You got to figure out how you're going to pay the company's rent. It happens. It happens a lot. And it, it, it's a gut check because you have to decide, are we going to do this next month? And if we're going to do this next month, what do I need to do to do this next month or six months from now or if you have the luxury of thinking six months from now or sure. a year from now uh and it it ha you have to be able to answer the question that i have something that the market wants i have something that's different i have something that's delicious i have a plan to make that happen because if you don't have a plan to make it happen you basically have pallets full of uh, bottles of whiskey sitting in your or bottles of beer or you know pallets of jeans or whatever you're making right. sitting there in your warehouse doing nothing and you're paying rent to house them and it's uh you've got to have that plan to bring it out there and if your plan for the last six months wasn't working you got to figure out how to make that plan for the next six months work what do you think it was your kind of love of the liquid so to speak that kind of kept you going instead of saying all right forget this yes yeah uh i think so uh i I have tasted my whiskey. I like my whiskey. <laughs> I, I hope think, so. I, I hope think so. it's good whiskey. The yeah. people I feed my whiskey to agree with me sure. that it's good whiskey. And I recognized, uh, you know, with the, with the company that I've got, we've gone through a couple of shifts and a couple of changes and a couple of uh, uh, different turnabouts. You know, at first we were up in Conroe. We had a large facility and we had a tasting room and we had to kind of retrench when I bought my partners out and figure out how to turn that corner with the new label and the new plan and the new vision. Uh, and then we had to transition into the next phase of getting it on shelves. Then we had to transition into the next phase of getting it into bars. And then we had to transition into the next phase of what's the next phase. Right. Because now we're on store shelves, we're in bars, what's next? Now what do we do? And that was probably around September of last year when I had to sit down and say, okay, we've done everything we're going to do this year. What's the next thing to do? And that's when I sat down and had to have the heart to heart talk with my lovely wife and say, are we going to do this? Cause our, our license was up for renewal, you know, with, in the whiskey business, mm -hmm. we have two year permit renewals that we have to do. So it was kind of a, a reality check that after two years, I have to decide, am I going to put up the money for another license? And, if I wasn't going to put up the money for another license, if I was going to do this, I was going to put up the money. If yeah. I wasn't going to do it, there's no point in putting up the money. You know, there's no point in running this out for six months and then just shutting it down mm -hmm. when you have a two-year license in front of you. So 
I had to make the decision if my whiskey was good enough to share with people or if it wasn't. And I firmly committed to the belief that my whiskey is good enough to share with people. So I sat down with a marketing plan and I said, I'm going to find as many crowds of people as I can and I'm going to expose myself to those crowds of people. And if they'll let me, I'm going to put my junk in their mouth and they're going to enjoy it. <laughs> well, uh, Joe, I'm glad you did. And I'm glad you've kept going. And you ask what's next. What's next for the show is that in the next segment, we're going to talk about uh, an event you have coming up in a few weeks. And we're going to taste a little bit of your delicious liquid here on Drink of Ages Radio. Stay tuned, everybody. for years the badass folks at cash branding has to be your go-to source for branded merchandise and apparel cash branding does it all from imprinted glassware coasters koozies tin tackers and bottle openers to dickies and red cap work shirts t-shirts and caps their apparel decorating options are top-notch offering embroidery and the latest trends in screen printing using water-based and discharge inks to achieve that super soft feel artwork services and samples are always free why go out of town or use multiple supplies for your branded merchandise keep it local like we do let the badasses at cast branding the official merchandise sponsor of drink of ages kick your branded merchandise and apparel up a notch give them a call at 855-376-7638 or check them out castbranding.com
Welcome back to Drink of Ages Radio. We are talking whiskey today with Joe Bretta from Old Humble Distilling Company. Um, I'm a brewer. Uh, I work at a brewery. I love beer, but I love cocktails and whiskey almost as much. Uh, so it's kind of a thrill to me to be able to to trade uh, conversation with a, a distiller. And Joe, um, let's talk about your beverages first that you have here. Sure, sure. You have an event coming up, which we'll talk about in just a little bit, um, but you'll be unveiling um, your special reserve at that event. We're very um, excited about that, yes. And you've unveiled it to us here for the show. Yes. So I'm excited about that. Tell me what I have in front of me. So what you have in front of you is a sample of our special reserve. Our special reserve, last year, at the beginning of the year, we released our Texas Straight Whiskey, uh, which is 100% corn, aged five years, and used bourbon barrels, handcrafted, and bottled at 90 proof in Humble, Texas. So we got that stuff out into stores, we got that stuff onto shelves, we got it into bars, and then the next step of the process was I took some of that same whiskey and put it back into barrels, put it back on oak, re-aged it to give it a little bit more mature flavor, a little bit more deeper How long was the re-aging? Well, we're using small casks okay. and uh, uh, fresh oak, so it was at least six weeks. Okay. It has been, this ba- bottle that you have in front of you is eight weeks okay. uh, on fresh oak, and uh, it, it, it makes a world of difference. Uh, yeah, what, what does it don't do Don't take my word whiskey? for it. You'll have to taste it for well, yourself. Well, yeah, let's do that, actually. Uh, cheers. Cheers, yeah, a little, you can't hear the cup clink. So this is my favorite part. Yeah, right. <laughs> Super smooth. As I sit here with a satisfied smile on my face. Yeah, right. Watching your face not get that whiskey face. (laughs) Yeah, one of those deals not in the least bit at all. I firmly believe you shouldn't have to fight your way to the bottom of a cocktail glass. If you have to fight your way to the bottom of your whiskey, you need better whiskey. A little (laughs) caramel, some vanilla in there. uh, Brown sugar almost. You know, (laughs) it's kind of weird to say it, but... I actually like how it's kind of hanging out on my palate now 30 seconds, it's lingering. a minute after yeah. you, you sort of drink it. That's but, almost kind of more of a treat. But it's lingering not in that medicine-y kind no, of way. No, not, not at like all. Not like cough syrup lingers and it's dissatisfying. It's lingering in a way a that... A dessert. That's, that's what it is to me. Yeah. Like the end of a conversation at the end of the night when your friends aren't quite leaving the house and you don't really want them to. And that's, that's the kind of... Uh, shots that we're looking for we something that's pleasant something that's enjoyable i don't like to fight my way through whiskey how do you drink it (laughs) i drink it usually cooled on ice yeah uh either chilled or on ice and uh, i'll usually mix it with another shot of whiskey (laughs) (laughs) sure why not do you make cocktails at home i usually make very simple cocktails okay uh like a whiskey sour or yeah uh, I'll mix it with lemonade and a little dash of peppermint. That's one of the cocktails that we serve at the distillery. We call it the Colonel Angus. Okay. Uh, I'll do uh, apple juice and a little cinnamon. I have a couple of kids, so we always have fruit juice laying around yep. the house. So I will mix their juice with my juice. Uh, and it creates for funny conversations where the kid comes up and he grabs the bottle of lemonade and asks if it's daddy's lemonade or his lemonade. Oh, no. I, <laughs> man, I can totally relate. My kids get to... Take a little swipe off the top of the foam, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, taste uh, what the beer is. And they've been able to do that for a while. My five-year-old one time, uh, I had an oatmeal stout, 
And she did that, and she said, it tastes like fairy tales. Oh, nice. Which is like the greatest marketing line yeah. of all time, you know? <laughs> yeah, that is nice. My <laughs> oldest my oldest son ac- uh, accidentally grabbed the wrong, uh, 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 what's the stuff you have at Christmas? Uh the creamy thing. Oh man, eggnog. Eggnog. Yeah, That's yeah, it. yeah. Sure. <laughs> I do English sometimes too. Yeah, but he right. grabbed the wrong eggnog one night oh, at Christmas yeah. time, and he's not really a big fan of whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's only old? eleven. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So I can't really blame him. Yeah. But sure. he grabbed the wrong one, and he took a big slug off of that cup, <laughs> and uh, he turned a good solid two shades of green, and it was really hilarious. <laughs> I, he still tells that story to his friends about yeah, how they, he, well he'll get used he, to it one day. Yeah, he drank all the whiskey one night. So if I want to go out and purchase a bottle of not the special reserve yet because that's right. still coming up, but um, some of your standard offerings, where do you do Our that? Our Texas straight whiskey is broadly available around the city. Okay, it is at Specs. It is at Total Wine. It is in San Antonio and Austin and Fort Worth and Dallas and. Uh, it's in El Paso and Amarillo and McAllen and Beaumont. It's all over the place. We're okay. in 40-something stores across the state between Total Wine and Specs and the smaller mom-and-pop shops here in town. We're at uh, Constellation Field, so if you're really? going to catch a Skeeter's game and you want to get a good cocktail, we've got your back on that one, too. Uh, so broadly available, our bourbon is available on shelves but very limited quantities i've only seen about 30 bottles right now in the city of houston at all yeah uh and it there's a few still available up in dallas and fort worth and austin and san antonio so the the whiskey is the flagship then right yeah yeah it's the uh high volume flagship that we have our bourbon is in very very limited quantities and in fact our next batch of bourbon is going to be ready I expect it'll be ready around Thanksgiving, Christmas time, and there's only going to be about 35 bottles of it. Okay. So when it's there, it's there. When it's gone, it's gone. And uh, come and get it while you can. And I can relate to, I think it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, but you never know. It's ready when it tells you it's It's ready. ready when it's ready. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, It is, once it goes into that cask, it breathes into the barrel and it comes out of the barrel and... You know, we're, we're prisoners of the climate, we're yeah. prisoners of the process, and when it's ready, it's ready. There's a limit to which it won't be any more ready, Sure, but there's definitely a floor after which, or before which, it's not. Special release party coming up Memorial Day weekend. Memorial Day weekend. Uh, not just Memorial Day weekend, Memorial Day. Oh, 11 Memorial to 3 Day. Okay. Memorial Day that Monday. That's our birthday. We're having a party. We're releasing the special reserve. We're going to have cocktails. We're going to have barbecue. We're going to have a band. Uh, I've got, uh, you can reserve a bottle online by buying a plate of barbecue ahead of time, and it will reserve your special reserve bottle, and gotcha. it will set it aside for 30 days. Uh, go to the Facebook page. It goes through Eventbrite. You can buy the ticket that way. Uh, I've got a couple of local celebrities that have said they're going to come. The <laughs> lovely and talented Kiki Maroon has said she will yeah, be coming out to the go. show. She's not going to be – I mean, she'll be there, but she's not going to be like <laughs> – Kiki you know, Maroon. She's not going to be all Kiki. Yeah, she's going to uh-huh. be just, you know, Kiki coming to get in a bottle, and that's going to be cool to see her. And a couple other folks have said they may come if they can. So 
come out to the party. It's going to be fun. At the very least, you get good whiskey. Yeah, and you get right. really good barbecue from our friends at the 1484 Front Porch Cookers. All the, the trappings are nice, but at the end of the day, you're supporting a local business, a guy that's, uh, you know, a banker by day and a distiller <laughs> also by day and also by night and also by morning. Yeah. Um, so it's a great opportunity to support a local business. Joe, thanks for coming on the, the show today. Out, good luck with the party and uh, keep pushing the good stuff, man. Thank you. Thank it's you really so delicious. Much. I appreciate yeah. it. Uh, all right. That's it for this episode of Drink of Ages Radio. As far as I know, John Denman will be back if he makes his way back from Nashville with all the beverages and spirits and delicious hot chicken there. Uh, so I will not be here uh, for the next episode, but I hope to see you soon at St. Arnold. This has been Drink of Ages Radio.